you are listening to the Green Industry Perspectives podcast presented by Single Ops, a podcast created for green industry professionals looking for best practices, tactics, and tips in running their tree care or landscape business. Welcome back to another episode of Green Industry Perspectives presented by Single Ops. I am Jay Worth, and I'm very excited to have with me today someone that I know is just a real professional when it comes to design, build, and to, and to project management in general. I've worked with this guy, and, and I think we're in for a really good time today. Paul Squerdo from PFS Designscapes is joining us here today. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Jay. Uh, honored to be here, and uh, we're looking forward to having some good conversation. Absolutely. Paul, one of the ways we like to open the show is we like to start out with some immediate value for our audience. So based on your experience, both as a sales professional and in in doing the project management side of these larger projects, what are some common threads that you see in successful green industry companies? Great starting point. And really in the last almost 20 years, have been with uh, a handful, a couple different companies, a couple various sizes. So had some great perspective to bring to the table. And in that, um, what I've seen either within the companies I was with or even just in the surrounding industry, these successful companies, they really uh, start this design build process and really putting a good focus on their sales staff and giving them a, a good training on being a good listener to the customer. They also are really great at working with the sales staff to walk the customer through a self-discovery as opposed to just, hey, here's our ideas for what you should do at your at your property. Mm. It's really going and taking a step back and, and getting to the heart of why did this client reach out to our company? And if, if they're really diving in and listening well, they're going to get that pretty quickly. The other great thing that I think I've seen happen is there's a great bridge and how you will bring the sales and the production together in that process to better serve the client. There's a great focus on minimizing that friction and it unifying the company itself as a team with the different aspects from the design sales on the front end to the actual installation and bringing that project to life for the client and just the general sales process for that client. Also, you know, from a project management perspective, successful companies hone their processes to ensure you know, few or no issues with handoff from sales designer to production. So we kind of already touched on that, you know, but, and that could either be whether it's uh, in-house or perhaps you may have a uh, outsourced designer, which I'm facilitating that uh, to a certain degree in my, in my role with my new company. So that could be also internal, external, as well as relationships relate. And, you know, at the end of the day, communication. It's key no matter what, whether it's internal with among the company and the internal process to deliver for the client, but obviously always keeping that client engaged from start to finish and not ducking and running or letting them always have to chase you down. I, I mean, I think that those are when you're proactive and always showing that customer that they are of a high priority mm-hmm. and staying ahead of it, it really goes a long way. Yeah, I love that. And I think that I know your focus has been design build, but I don't think this applies to any project that we're facilitating, whether we're done in a day, you know, it's a one day, you know, like you bring a, a, a good size crew and, and you can knock it out quickly or whether it's something that's stretched out over weeks and months. I think that those are all 
good principles that any company offering services in our industry can learn from. Absolutely. Um, Paul, uh, let's back up a minute here. Give the audience a sense of, you know, your work history, how you got into the industry, what you've done, any accomplishments you've gotten, and kind of what you're doing now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a great industry to be a part of. I'm definitely passionate. Really feel I've landed at a at a, a great place that I can get to do what I do every day and get to also help clients discover what they want to achieve with their goals within their own properties or, you know, residents, whatever that may be. You know, I kind of started out really young and it goes back to, I mean, I always loved the outdoors from a young age, playing in the dirt, hiking, you know, that was me, you know, getting a little older, living at home, yard work was never really feeling like a chore to me, helping out Mm. with mom and dad and working in the yard. um, You know, I always took pride in that and always kind of enjoyed working towards that crisp look of a fresh outside lawn and and the, the landscape. So it just kind of kept growing. As I got older, um, you know, I was seventh grade, just thinking back here and I bought my first drum set. Nice. And I did that by means of uh, mowing lawns and doing some outside yard work for people, just some side work. But, you know, it was that putting work in and, and getting a return and, you know, and then realizing, wow, I can now go take the fruits of my labor and go purchase something. So that kind of grew. And then getting into high school, you know, I was in scouts. So a lot of the outdoor aspect, again, just being outdoors and enjoying that. I gravitated towards art class and uh, did well and, and, you know, and had that engagement on my creative side there. And, you know, as I just kept evolving then into what am I going to do after co- or high school and looking to college, I was very fortunate that I had some mentors around me that I started to ask some questions. And basically, um, I landed at going to Penn State through uh, their landscape architecture program. It's a five-year program, and you get to spend a semester abroad. Uh, I spe- was over in, uh, in Rome, Italy for six months almost, and um, what an awesome experience to see other cultures, but how all these cultures kind of took their native natural landscape and how they evolved and formed it to meet their needs as a culture society and really got to take that in. Uh, I ate that up. And really, uh, with that, and then working into my professional career, basically, uh, I had a mentor at one time tell me, as I was discerning, what are you going to do in college? And I was leaning towards landscape architecture. They basically said, make sure you crawl and learn from the trenches before you become a designer. So Mm -hmm. don't just go out into the world thinking you're going to just make these really cool looking landscapes for people. You got to know how they got to be built. And you got to really appreciate what you're asking people to do in order to make that come to life. Mm -hmm. And I really did take that to heart, but I think it's part of my wiring too. I am hands-on and being able to walk through something like that, I think has paid dividends to me to build stronger relationships with coworkers, other subcontractors. You know, it's one thing to just show up on a job site and, you know, you're the one in the khakis and the polo shirt and they're all in their working clothes (laughs) and in the boots. And, you know, you've got to be able to, relate and have the humility to meet them where they are because there's a mindset and and there's a magic that happens in the field that that doesn't from behind a desk. So I really had to always walk that fine line and I tried to make sure that I wasn't ever lopsided in there. So, you know, through that, my post-college experience, I've uh, been with a a handful, a couple different companies uh, here in South Central Pennsylvania. Some were companies as small as maybe 10 to 12 
employees, small design build, maybe landscape maintenance, and then to the other extreme of, you know, multi-discipline or multi-division in terms of services that were offered, you know, from not just landscape design build, but pest control, lawn care, tree services, maintenance, et cetera, that way. So had that kind of broad uh, scope and I've been in smaller companies and some of these companies were maybe 1 million and other companies uh, were, you know, probably 15 plus or probably easily over that now. And it's been quite a journey and it's put me in a position now where stepping and growing upon that experience, I've now uh, went into the the world of uh, self-employment for the first time in my life and really uh, humbled and grateful for this opportunity because I'd be foolish to think that none of the experiences prior to this haven't afforded me the opportunity that I have. And so here I am and uh, very grateful to kind of keep honing and, and growing uh, every day with what I'm doing here in this part of this industry. Yeah, that's amazing. I think a lot of us can relate to that background of enjoying spending time outside. And and I know for me, like one of the things that like hooked, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but one of the things that hooked me into the industry was doing the same kind of thing. Like my first, my first real landscaping job, I remember pulling up to a house that looked like, you know, garbage, the weeds were up over my knees, the beds hadn't been edged in five years. You know, there's a, there's barely mulch because it's all degraded. You know, they had a mulching job in the same amount of time and it was just garbage. And by the time we left, there's, you know, me and, and two other guys with three man crew, we spent all day at this place and we left and I was like, holy crap, it's been transformed. You know, it just looked completely different. And I, I was like, I was, I was hooked right then. It was like, it's like instant gratification. You know, you can see the, the, the fruit of your labor right away. And um, yeah, I agree with that entirely. Well, Paul, thanks so much for giving us some context there. One of the things you mentioned is that you said successful companies, companies that you've been a part of that have done this well, uh, done the sales process well for any type of project. They train their staff to always be listening to the customer. What does that look like from your perspective? And I'll add a follow-up to that already. What's the difference between listening to the customer and giving in when they demand something that you know won't work well? I think the difference there is that when you're listening, I mean, you have to step back and put yourself in their shoes. And I sometimes like to think of the used car salesman. And if anybody is coming from that background, listening to that, I'm not jabbing or poking fun. Unfortunately, it's one of those stereotypes that culturally speaking that uh, kind of comes up. But I think, you know, you're, you're not just there to sell them a quick sale. I mean, this is an extension of their home or their property that they are reaching out to you to engage with and, and really help you, or you're there to help them rather form this vision. And, and bring it to life. So you really have to really step back and put yourselves in their place and, and get to the heart of what do they need? What do they want? That's how you make it personal for them. That's how you get true buy-in when they can really see it and visualize it and they can own it themselves. I used to think when starting out that, nope, I got to be this really uh, creative and innovative designer and I got to do the, the best and the greatest. And, you know, it, took me a little mind shift there to eventually learn that if I'm going to really be successful. I, I've got to train my ear and I've got to train my tactic. And that came with some training that came with a lot of practice, sometimes trial and error. But when I really started dialing that in and really 
try to step away from myself and really try and focus and dial in on their needs. What a difference in the process for me. And I was really seeing a difference too in the engagement that I was gaining and earning and humbled by to have with the clients I was with. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you got the most elegant design in the world, if no one wants it. Absolutely. Or if it doesn't fit their need. Yeah, no, I agree with that. So what does that look like? What does it look like when someone is conditioned or trained to always be listening to the customer? What kind of characteristics do they display? How do they engage in that conversation about a project? I mean, there's definitely good questions, intentional questions to be asking, but once it's asked, you need to pause and you need to just listen because I early on too had to learn that as well. Like I wasn't comfortable with silence, so I would keep rambling. (laughs) I Uh, think uh, there's a lot of us and those that if they're humble enough to uh, relate from early sales experience to later polished honed uh, salesperson, you evolve with that. And I, and I really think when you ask good intentional questions that pull them in, you have to be direct and you have to be, even if you're met with silence, you got to be silent just a little bit longer and eventually it will come because it'll really, they'll understand that what you're doing is you're, you're really listening in and dialing in and you're not forcing it. They don't feel like it's on someone else's terms. And again, that's when I think you start building that rapport. And you start getting them to be more at ease and and you build that trust in this process and that relationship. That's a big part of how that comes, you know, and being prepared when they ask questions in return, you're not trying to spew out every detail and every uh, bell and whistle that you can throw at them. But again, just trying to be intentional and bringing it back with a focused intention on their needs and how it's going to relate and and either help, ultimately help provide a solution for what they're trying to solve and which is going back to the heart of why they reached out to you for your professional guidance. So it's a balance because, you know, again, starting out instinctively, it's go in there. Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you to do this, that. Now I learned very quickly and was humbled that that's not the best way to approach this. And it's come around full circle. It sounds to me like your first point about, you know, sales staff are, are, trained to always be listening to the customer. And your second point about how effective companies, salespeople walk the customer through a self-discovery. Like Mm. during that conversation, they help the customer figure out what they actually want, what they actually need. It sounds like those two dovetail pretty, pretty closely. Is that fair to say? Sure. Again, I think with the right kind of questioning, not in an interrogation type of way, but I, I always kind of think of it kind of two form, uh, you're trying to establish a partnership. And I also have thought of this as well as going to go see your doctor. You know, you got to go do it for a checkup. What does a good doctor do? A good doctor doesn't just sit there. They may ask some questions, but at the end of the day, they're going to really try and listen well, because this is your, your body and there's some type of ailment that you're going to them for. And to really make sure they understand what is the best solution, what's the best treatment. I, I try and have always tried to have that parallel too and treat it the same way as if, you know, I'm going in there and I'm trying to be a doctor for this client. And with that, just like when I think of other times I've been to the doctor, that self-discovery of, is it this or is it that? Does it feel like this or does it, does it not feel like that? It's through those types of questions and guidance where you start to as the professional, you're there to guide 
but you also are there to say, hey, this is what I'm hearing from you. This is what I'm understanding. This is, you know, and you're checking in and you're getting confirmation and you're, you're solidifying that. So you're not just going blindly to the drawing table after you have your first meeting and saying, well, this is what I think they want. Well, no, you go to those concrete points that they brought, even though you may go in there having a vision, which you really shouldn't. You should really start with the focus on them. And when you do that, the fun will evolve for both of you, the client you know, and the sales uh, designer member in, in, involved with it in the process. I do this when I have coached inside salespeople. There are times where there are certain phrases that people use that like close a door and other ones that <laughs> open a door, right? Yes, are there any questions that you tend to ask that you have found really unlock those doors, open those doors when you're engaging in that discovery process with a customer? I don't mean, I don't want to give away any of your secrets, right? But like, if you've got something <laughs> no. that you're like, this is something. No, they're not to, secrets. But- and, on, and honestly, it's, it's things that look, I, I would have learned through formal training as well, have gone through some courses and whatnot over the course of uh, my professional career here. And, you know, and that's what we're here for in this, context of this podcast is to we're here to support each other grow with each other and build our industry up collectively and it's an exchange of ideas so i don't want to uh, hopefully no one takes it as if i'm stealing but i think i think uh, a lot of times there's either a, a more open-ended question is kind of a key to kind of draw and when you talk about you know a close it, it's asking something that's you're asking the question in a way that it leads to a yes or no it's not a, well, maybe, and I might be, it's just a very short, mm-hmm. direct, am I hearing you? Am I correct that I hear you correctly on that point? Is this what you want? Yes or no. You yeah. know, and, and that's, you get those little verifications along the way of you're honing it in. You're, you're finding out, you, you know, you could go in there and throw anyone client on this property, anything, material, layout, whatever. But again, you have to personalize it for them. So you got to hone it down that way to kind of bring those definitive answers out. That really does take the mystification out of, did I hear you? Did I understand you? When you ask it more directly and you truly listen, you'll get there. What I hear you saying is it's more like someone calls you, you know, they say they want a patio, right? You don't just show up and say, okay, well, I got 15 by 15 here. Patios cost this. What you're doing is you're saying, hey, why, why do you want the patio here? Exactly. I, and I see what you did there because you just said, uh, I hear what you're saying, Paul. So you just totally reversed that on me. I love that, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to dig, dig into the reason behind what they're doing. Well, we need a place to entertain. Well, do you need to use all this space then? If you're working with a budget that's maybe not 15 by 15, maybe we do a smaller area where you, you know, a pad where you can put the grill or, you know, some kind of seating area around that's, that's maybe, you know, like a, we, you know, guy we worked with uh, wanted a patio area in his backyard and he edged it in and did like railroad ties and did pea gravel instead of a patio. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's, there's just kind of asking questions about the functionality and intended use, the, um, the reasoning about it. So if you're a tree care professional, it could apply the same way, right? Someone calls you and wants a removal. Instead of just saying, oh, well, it's going to cost you five grand to get that tree out of here. Why do you want the tree removed? Sure. Absolutely. Right? No, you're, you're spot on. And, and you are going to have to dig a little bit. And some clients are, are, are great and they know what they want. 
and a lot of times that that's helpful in the process, but that doesn't mean they're a good or a bad client. That's just, they know what they want versus some other clients know they need help and guidance, but they may truly not understand what they're asking for. And that's where you, the professional can really guide that and hone that for them. Mm-hmm. Just by simply understanding, you know, lifestyle, what are, what's the, you had already mentioned functionality. You know, I, I try and go back to more simplistic and before I get caught up on, well, do you like this style or that style? That certainly plays in, but I really just try and get up to the heart of the function and what are you hoping to achieve big picture here? And then kind of work backwards from that. And sometimes you just have to put it point blank. Other times it will flow naturally. And it just depends on the different personalities that you engage with. That's what makes the world go round. I agree. This isn't on our, our list of questions that we've talked about before, but I want to put it out here. I'm going to put you on the spot for just a second. All right. Um, design fee or consultation fee. Where does Paul Squared O land? on that. I know where I land on that, but I want to hear your <laughs> thoughts. Cause I think you've probably worked in companies that do it both ways, you know, they do free consultations and also do design fees. Talk to me about your, your position. Great question. And actually I'm, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do think that that is something that's kind of like this gray area or controversial area in our industry, especially when we're really talking about design build arena, you know, uh, any good company, knows their value and they know their worth and you shouldn't be afraid to ask for it because you are a professional and that's what people are trusting and relying on you for. I know that it's very tempting to be afraid of not getting work because you're asking for money and people are going to say, well, no, I, I can't afford that. Well, then how can you honestly earn and make a living doing what you're doing as well? It's a give and take. And, you have to be comfortable uh, being able to be a professional and being able to know that there's a value that comes with you being professional. And when you are entrusted to be a professional, the value and investment that they make in you will come back to them tenfold to help guide this process. So of course, for my positioning from where I I was and even to where I am now is I think that there's a, a big chunk of our industry that's still behind the eight ball here. And they're very timid and wanting to go out and ask for the sale and ask for some uh, upfront investment. It, it's not, you're just going to buy a, a one-time service. And again, my framework's design build focus. And I know our industry is much, there's a lot of overlap here in a wider range. But I think when it specifically comes to that, there's just so much logistical thought and consideration that goes into the project, the estimating, the material selection, the execution, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of coordination. You may have a project that there's multiple contractors that are involved and, and you got to be able to make that run smoothly. If that's a failure and you didn't put the upfront value in putting a sound plan together and really bringing it together from the beginning to guide the whole process and make it smooth and fluid for construction crew to the client as the end user Anybody else that might come and engage on it thereafter, the, the fact that something's installed and put in place, yeah, you're, you're really shooting yourself in the foot if you don't establish that value up front. And I've seen so many people do that time and time again, and then half the time they give it away and then they get burned anyway because the client never really had a value in them anyway. And when I've learned that once I was comfortable enough early on to ask for it, I was also more dialed in and more focused. And I brought that professional value with it because 
I knew that it was a partnership that we were establishing early on and they were trusting the process. So I definitely had a due diligence to return and deliver for them. And it, and it just, it brings everybody together from the beginning. Get paid people. That's my Amen. <laughs> get paid because you are bringing, look, Okay. So Paul, you know this about me listeners. If you don't know it about me, my, my sweet spot, my real expertise is cool season turf grass, right? Like nobody charges a consultation fee for cool season turf grass. Like, Hey, I got this problem with my lawn. Can you come diagnose it? Sure. Even in that, which is, you know, and I love lawn care. Lawn care is probably like the lowest barrier to entry for our industry. I think. Sure. Right. Like, well, maybe not, maybe maintenance, landscape maintenance, but lawn care is like, the lowest professional barrier to entry. Like you don't have to have a ton of training. I can train somebody in a week to go out and sell lawn care door to door. Cool season turf grass anyway. And, you know, even in that space, you'll get people that come out. They have no intention of buying from you. They're milking you for information. And it's like, I'm a professional, <laughs> you know, I, I can tell yeah. you the difference between disease damage and chinch bug damage. Like you should, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter if you think it's, grubs and you're putting down something for it in July, you're wrong. Like I can, I can tell you how to diagnose these things and fix these things. And even in that space, you get people that want to milk you for it. I've had calls where I go out and the homeowner has me out there for 30 minutes. And then I finally just say, look, we can fix this. Do you, do you want to sue or not? You know, it's a yes or no. If it's a no, I'm getting in my truck and leaving. Like, (laughs) and I think it's even worse. Look, if you're, a design build professional and you're giving away a design for free, you're putting how many hours of work into something that you're never going to get paid on. I don't work for free. Maybe, maybe you do good for you. If you're an, if you're an arborist, right? Like you have spent time getting your CEUs. You have spent time going to trainings. It's getting the study guide, getting the test, doing all this stuff so that you can have those credentials behind your name. Why on earth are you giving away that expertise for free? Yeah, it's, uh, I love what you said, Paul. Yeah, I'm, I could not more strongly agree with you. <laughs> uh, and it's just, it's funny how that, I mean, I still hear it looming, looming in our industry. Um, and there's still guys out there that are timid guys, girls. I'm not trying to say it's a male. I mean, I got you. Yeah, we, we, have a, we understand you, Paul. <laughs> got it. So moving on, you said that, so we've got the sales, you know, we've got to listen to a customer. We've got to really do a discovery with them. A more cynical salesperson would say that's a pain, you know, I uncover the pain, but really we're getting at the why behind their, their ask. And then you talked about this bridge between sales and production. And if you would just briefly touch on how much of that responsibility is on sales, how much is on production, how much is on the designer, if there's a third party designer involved, how much is on company leadership in that organization yeah. kind of where where do you see all the roles fitting together there and you don't have to spend a ton of time on it but like if you you know just who's responsible for what how much of the onus falls on each of those you know buckets the sales production designer leadership? sure well at the end of the day one place in particular that i came from uh, there was an emphasis on everybody's involved Everybody has a part. It doesn't matter if you're in the cubicle and if you're doing more administrative uh, work behind the scenes. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, lawn care technician, if you're, you know, a design build installer using heavy equipment and, you know, it doesn't matter. We all are representing a company and what you do in the form of brand. So at a very high level, you have to start there. But then as it's broken down, 
in a traditional design build, I mean, you, you do have sales staff. Some companies are set up with a sales person, and then there may be a separate designer. Other places, and, and such as which is where I kind of come from a background of where I was doing sales, design, estimating, and in part project management. Other places, the project management, once the, the sales person brought a project, got a design together, got an estimate together, there was a, a, a passing of the torch per se to production. And you had a good huddle, you had a good overview. The details were looked at up front to really ensure a smooth process so that production could go take that ball and run with it and minimize the need for me to be out as often or as frequently. I think for sales, you still have the longest uh, involvement from start to finish. You are typically the one that's going to get that first client touch or that engagement from a client. You're that one that starts building that trust and rapport from day one. And you really are the one that's responsible for making sure all that necessary information transpires and goes through the system and the process with the rest of the team that's going to deliver on it. You are kind of that nucleus. So I do think there's a high responsibility there. But I think the companies that establish partnerships, especially between production and sales, and put good time and effort into that and energies as a part of behind the scenes, a lot of success will come because that makes the rest of when that torch is passed go so much smoother uh, and it translates very well for the client experience once the project comes together. So, you know, project management, you're also on the side of the business that, that is even more personal sometimes in the sales individual because you are there every day on that property you actually have an opportunity more than likely if that homeowner's there every day, you're engaging with them on a regular basis. And you're the one that they're entrusting whether they stay or whether they leave to go run errands and appointments, you're trusted on their property. So there still is that responsibility there too. And at the end of the day, that's where that communication, if something comes up and the salesperson's not there to know about it, hey, give them a courtesy call and let them know, hey, just wanted to let you know this happened. Here's how we're handling it. Because sometimes that client may call the production guys and expect them to handle it, or they may be calling that salesperson just because of the relationship. But there again, a, a company that dials in on those points and how they're structured to give clients cues of when they should be contacting or be contacted by an individual from the company. When you lay that out and set proper expectations, it, it's night and day experience for the client through that whole process. It sounds to me, and you haven't actually said it yet, but I'll just, I'm inferring, so I don't want to put words in your mouth. All right. So to correct me if I'm wrong here. Okay. You've got, you're, you're in this for the long game, right? Like you're the one establishing the upfront relationship. You're the one that's responsible for a good like handoff. You need to make sure you pass all the details and production. You're there on the property. You're trusted. You need to make sure if there's an issue or something like that, or, or the customer's unhappy or something, you're communicating back and forth with sales. It sounds to me like all of that needs to happen from a leadership level where the leadership says, hey, this is how we're going to conduct ourselves when we're meeting with a client, when we're passing off the job, and when we're on the property. Yeah, it's a culture. It's a company culture aspect. And again, now I'm in a position where I'm an army of one for the moment of time as I'm growing a business as a landscape designer and consultant. But drawing upon that past experience and knowing that even though I may just come up with a design, I'm still there to help guide 
and make good suggestions or recommendations too of where the client may go about how they're going to go about that project. But in stepping back, it really, if you're a larger company, your employees are going to engage when they understand that from the top down and, and when it transpires, because that sets the expectation internally, which then transpires externally to the client. And, and it's key. And it's, there's definitely companies that I've been with that really put intentional focus time to make sure that there's a huddle, you know, it, right before that exchange and at that torch passing per se from sales to production. There's been other places where it's just like, we're so overloaded in our schedule. We didn't give time, but we'll, we're just, we got to get it done. We got to crank these projects out. And that's when the mistakes happen. That's where the communication drops. Mm. You have to make that intentional time. It is valuable. It may seem in the moment, like you don't have that time, but if you don't take that pause to really uh, follow through on that, it's going to catch up with you and it's going to bite you in the end. And it's going to not lead to a great experience with the client. Well, and that's a perfect segue into, you know, you talked about companies that really nail this as we get past the sales portion and we've got this bridge here. Now we're talking about project management. You said, you mentioned, you know, companies that do this well have honed that process to make sure that there's few or no issues with the, the, you know, sales designer, production handoff, whether that's an internal designer that you've got on staff or an external, you know, someone that you've hired to do the design, what sort of roadblocks do companies run into and how do they go about, you know, actively removing those roadblocks to ensure that there's fewer hiccups with that handoff? Yeah, another great question. So how do you avoid the roadblocks? Again, I I think sometimes it just goes back to simple written and establish systems and processes that kind of say, hey, you can either see an organizational chart or whether that is you have some some quick forms. And again, I'm saying forms with the way that technology is, the forms kind of almost go out the door and things are just kind of digital. There are those kind of systems and, and tools out there that can help just streamline and update along the way to kind of help that as opposed to, you know, we do come from an industry that, which I, I'm going to say something here, and I mean it truly from a place of respect, but it kind of is a little bit of still growing from a good old boy club of, you know, sometimes it comes from the, the school of hard knocks and got to do it the hard way. And, but there is something to be said for working smarter, not harder. And while sometimes I think individuals would argue that systems, you know, are restraining and bog you down. No, they, they guide it. They guide the process. They keep everybody kind of dialed in queued in. And when you have transitions of one part of the sales design process to the production side, there, there's a roadmap that guides it and, and keeps everybody in unison. And, you know, when you're using, you know, software or even with the more Excel sheets or things like that, not that it has to be over overdone, but just some simple things that help track and, and keep everybody in line it goes a long way. And, and knowing that there's a unified goal that you're all working towards to help achieve for the company's success, but ultimately the company's successful, you should be having successful clients that are happy with the end result. And that's what you're all working towards. And I do think that quick, concise meetings, not long hourly drawn out meetings go very, go very far, especially in our industry. And you try and bring everybody together. I, I think that that's key and just shorter, more frequent keeps everybody in the loop and it doesn't have to be overdone. I love it. Shorter, more frequent keeps everybody in the loop. That's a good, that's a really good 
Because I think the temptation is we're going to sit down and we're going to pass off everything that the salesperson's ever talked about, the des- every detail about the design to production, and then it's their problem, right? But like, there's going to be stuff that comes up along the way. I can think of a project one of our coworkers worked on. There was supposed to be a patio going in and the production team got back and, and the guy told me, and, and this was a quote, there was a boulder the size of a Volkswagen right where the patio was supposed to go. You yeah. remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. If you have done this, well, here's the the sales guy's bit. Here's the designer's bit. And now production go out and do it. Those guys are going to be out there with pickaxes and dynamite trying to put the patio exactly where it's supposed to go. But if they have these shorter, more frequent meetings, like, hey, okay, we need to make an adjustment. Let's involve yeah. the client. Let's loop the client in. We can audible. Let's still get them what they want. Maybe we go back to the drawing board for part of it, but like, let's get them what what, what they want without sacrificing the the discovery portion sure. um, and still make it functional. So uh, I think you brought that around rather nicely. And that was a great example because even though you could do all the planning and systems, there's always going to be hiccups. So it's almost like you, well, it, you don't almost, you, you need to always just have that flexibility to built into your system of knowing that there are those unknowns that will pop up, but if you have the ability and, and you enable your teams to adapt and adjust and again, communicate to be able to take pause, reevaluate, and then you move forward. And that love goes it. a long way. Yeah, I love it. You talked about to the kind of the last component here was good, strong communication. And so we're, we're wrapping up the show here shortly. You talked about communication internally with the team and, and externally with the customer being really strong and robust, really transparent and kind of fluid. It sounds like that's kind of what you're describing with some of these huddles, but is there what do each of those things mean to you? You know, what does strong communication look like? How do we create transparency in both internal and customer facing communication? Sure. I think I'm trying to think you, you touched on a couple of things that resonated with me. I think one of the things that I found uh, success with a previous company was a strong intention of doing a, a good walkthrough and a follow-up. Other places, it was kind of, well, if time permits, maybe we'll do a walkthrough. But one company in particular, I mean, it was a, it was definitely a definitive, let's schedule a follow-up. The crew is going to be wrapping up in a day or so. It's a chance to do a walkthrough. And is there a punch list? Who knows? Maybe material was delayed or whatnot, you know. But it still allows you to get a level of closure, a level of approval and satisfaction from the client that you delivered and that you you brought them what you said you were going to and that they're truly happy with the end result. I think having an intentional follow-up and a walkthrough it as you're nearing the end, that goes a long way. I agree. That That's one big thing. And again, I'm not expecting that to happen in the lawn care or tree, but maybe it does to a certain degree, um, depending on the type of application. Yeah. Tree care but too. It, I mean, cause like you can't uncut a limb off, right? Like <laughs> you can't sure. glue it back on. Right. So yes. you've got to like, if, especially if it's a multi-day project, like maybe you have that conversation at the end of day one or in the middle of day one. And, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're going to be focusing on. Just, I think, some simple anticipated meeting or checkpoints along the process. And again, it's on how you set the expectation up front. And if you give that customer an indication and you lay that out, you're giving them that roadmap. You're instilling that trust and you're not just going out of willy-nilly or kind of ducking and running and, well, this happened, but we're going to just not mention it or regroup. And, you know, you have to always be transparent 
to really have their trust and to grow and build your business the best way that you possibly can. And how do people, I think that's the thing like that most resonated with me. And then I think so many times, again, I can think of a coworker I had who was just awful, awful, awful at returning customer phone calls because they were afraid of a conflict. So-and-so called and had a question mm. and this person would, it would be like weeks and they wouldn't get back to them. And I'm just like, you don't even know that they were mad. They're mad now. By the sure. time you actually get around to calling them, they're bad. But I think that's some of it is, is some of it is just that we're afraid of the confrontation. How do we really work at making, whether it's internally or externally, how do we work at making that communication transparent so that it's, it's like we can, let's remove the fear from this. Let's make sure people say the things they need to say to get the job done to the customer's expectations, to the company standards. I think, again, it goes back to trust. You know, and you have to put yourself in other people's shoes that you're working with, whether that's internal or external. And you got to give the the respect to others that you hope that they are going to give, you know, in a form of respect back to you. And I think that's ultimately how you try and approach those things. I mean, yeah, for some, it may be easier than others to approach confrontation. But at the end of the day, when you try and put yourself in their shoes and just say, you know what, I may not be getting news about the project that I want to hear, but I appreciated that you called me and told me rather than just making me sit around idly wondering what's going on here. I mean, it goes a long way. And that, and you know what, I've learned early on too, because I've been guilty of that. I mean, if I'm going to call the pot mm-hmm. black, it's not that I don't want to tell her that I'm hiding or want to be dishonest. It's just, oh my gosh, what are they going to do and say? And you're, you paralyze yourself and, you know, yep. you just have, we all experience something or hear bad news at some point. And at the, at the end of the day, you just have to give people that same respect of, even though it may not be the best news, the material's delayed or it's discontinued or, Hey, we're, our schedule's really deep because of rain delays or, you know, we're, we're behind schedule. You got to call, you got to be proactive. You got to set the expectation. And that's how you still will grow and build that trust long-term, not just with that client, but as you earn and gain more clients long-term and how you build your brand as a company. Cause that word of mouth of that, their experience will resonate with maybe the next person they talk to. And you just always got to make sure that you're thinking ahead that way so that you don't build yourself into a stagnant corner where um, you paralyze yourself just cause you're ducking and running. That, no one, no one gains anything from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can think of a time I had a client, a customer it was a lawn care. When I was working in lawn care, I was selling lawn care door to door. And I was helping out with production. We were doing aerations and seedings at the end of the season. And, you know, I've been pushing an aerator around for nine, 10 hours a day. I didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with anything. And I had a customer call in and uh, they asked for me by name. They called into the office instead of calling my cell phone. I'm not sure why they didn't call my cell phone, but they asked for me. And it took me like two weeks to get back to her. And what she wanted was to buy something. She wanted to buy something additional. And by the time I called her, she was spitting mad. I can't believe it took you this long to get back to me, canceled her service, told all her friends about what an awful experience she had. And this is a neighborhood where we had a lot of customers. Yeah. And I just think if for me, one of the things that I've found since that time has worked well, and I don't know, maybe you do something similar. I just wanted to get your take on this is I, you know, try to have upfront conversations with people when there's, I know it's going to be an ongoing relationship, ongoing project to say, look, I'm here as a resource for you, whether that's a teammate internally, whether that's a customer, I'm here as a resource for you. 
if you're coming up against a challenge and there's something I can do to help, let me know. Let's not run from these conversations. Even if you think it's a hard conversation, you're not going to upset me. You're not going to offend me. Um, It's not going to impact our our working relationship or professional, personal relationship, whatever. Let's say the things we need to say. And that way, at the end of this project, everybody's happy. Everybody wins. Do you, do you ever use something like that? Is there any value in that or some version of that? I've heard other sales professionals use. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because even there, what you're saying is still setting an expectation. And, it, and it's, not, it's not that you're anticipating something go wrong. I mm-hmm. think you're just being honest with saying that things happen. That's life. And you know, we all have our, yeah. our bumps and hurdles along the way in, in the road of life. But I think when you can put it in that form, you just bring that human aspect to not, it's just a, an outdoor space that you're slapping in the ground. No, it's, hey, we want to earn your trust. We want to build this relationship. You're making an investment in our company to deliver and bring something to you. It's really, it's an opportunity for growth, even if a bad experience does come up. And I've seen it time and time again where there was a bad experience, but it came down to how either an individual or how a company responded that either the way that they responded, if it was in a, in, a, in a great way, it put a positive spin. And if it was in a not so good way and it was more sheepish and ducking and running and feeling like you're avoiding something rather than hitting it head on, that's where you lose people. So yeah. I, I think I think the sooner you can make a statement like that, not to put a line in the, in the, in the sand per se, but to really just say, here, we're here for you. We may not do everything perfect, but we're going to work, we're going to work through this and things may adversity may come up because we're working in, in mother nature's uh, backyard and, but we're accustomed to this and we want to work through this. And we've come out on the other side of being in these types of scenarios before. And mm-hmm. uh, we want to make sure that, you know, that that's just the what's ahead of you and to bring that product to life for you. I love it. Paul, as we're wrapping up here, if people want to learn more about, I know you do some um, work right now for other firms like that need to design help. Um, they can outsource to you. Um, if someone wants to connect with you because they really liked what they heard from you today, what are ways that they can reach out to you, get in touch with you? No, that, that's great. And thank you for that opportunity. I mean, just real quick synopsis of what I'm doing is, is I'm either engaging with homeowners. Uh, there are some contractors as well that whether they're just looking at their long-term growth and maybe where they are is that they're not sure if they have the full need for a full-time employee to kind of offer the design services that I'm able to do. I I can also, you know, fill that void or I could also um, be a support in any aspect um, as a part of that design build process in that regard. Permits, outdoor living concept plans, whether they're small scale or master plans, you know, uh, construction, more detailed drawing, and even, uh, you know, material selection recommendations, um, all different ways that I'm, I'm working. I mean, this is, you know, a year one in this kind of venture, and I'm looking to grow this long term. So I have to continue to grow and, and take an internal look at my branding and how I'm going to evolve. And that's a work in progress right now. I'm hitting the ground running with that. But thankfully enough, with the relationships that I have established, I've been able to, to go forward a uh, rather nicely here with, with a great start and, and it's growing and getting uh, momentum right now. So I would be available. I mean, probably simplest form for the moment would be either through a LinkedIn profile, which I think you said you were going to be able to uh, provide. Yeah. I'll put a link in there. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, feel free to, um, you know, using my email, paul at pfsdesignscapes.com. 
would welcome an opportunity to engage, reach out, talk, you know, and, and whether it's, Hey, let's have a, a conversation of, uh, you have something that you're working with within your company and it's more of just a, Hey, quick professional insight. You know, I welcome that because there's been so many other people that have been there for me and, you know, let's keep that open communication to help each other. It goes a long way. And I'd be humbled by this opportunity to be able to, to do that, extend myself that way to anyone that would need it. Or, you know, if, if there was, you know, again, a homeowner or a, a business that maybe is trying to figure out the right personnel or staffing, I mean, I could be a solution that way and would welcome an opportunity to talk through any option there. Well, I think you probably you're also one of only a handful of squirtos on LinkedIn. So I think if someone <laughs> if someone were to were to search for you by name, they'll probably it's not like we're looking for John Smith, right? Like, well, it'll probably come up. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. If you do have a need, again, I've worked with Paul personally. He's super solid. So if you're you know needing to outsource just a little bit of design work, you're kind of operating just outside your bandwidth right now. He's pretty plug and play. This is a good solution for you. Paul, thank you so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate your time. Hey, thank you. It's always a pleasure. And um, I'm glad to reconnect and appreciate the opportunity. Mm-hmm.